This episode is brought to you by MeBank, the bank built and supported by industry super funds. Ever wondered about getting a better deal on your home loan? Well, it might be time to get in touch with MeBank. Whatever your investment strategy, you'll find a loan that's right for you with competitive rates and flexible home loan options. So stop wondering and start saving. Call MeBank on 131 563 or visit mebank.com.au. Terms and conditions apply. Now here's the show. It's really all about where does that initial piece of money come from, that equity, that deposit. And the good news is it doesn't have to come from the developer. It could be somebody else who has some money. This is Property Investory where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Tyrone Shum and in this episode, we're continuing the conversation with Managing Director of Property Mastermind, Bob Anderson, who will divulge the strategy he has used to develop property, no money down and how to attract money like a magnet. Also, before we delve into this episode, go over to propertyinveststory.com and subscribe to receive your free property investor case studies where you'll learn how to generate passive income from your properties. Go there now to sign up for free. Upon learning that he could make good money as a developer with no money down, Anderson discovered it was an eye-opener. This is something that he feels was also a drawback. As I said, the big the big learn from that was that you could make good money out of property development, which I which I assumed you could. That's why I wanted to go there, uh, but that you could actually do it with little or no money of your own. So that was an eye opener. And would you believe the next deal I did was a different strategy where I made quite good money out of putting no money into that deal as well. Uh, so I was pretty hot to trot uh, after my first deal. <laughs> and uh, needless to say, because you know now I wasn't ten foot tall and bulletproof. I was as they say, well, we better, well, should we make that three metres tall and bulletproof? Now I'm three point, <laughs> three metres tall and bulletproof. And uh, my sister's boyfriend at the time, my sister Lorraine had a boyfriend called Keith and Keith was an earth mover. And uh, Keith had a, had a bit of money from his earth moving and he said, geez, you did well out of that one, Bob. And I said, yeah, I did pretty well, Keith, hey, I'm pretty smart. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> actually, well, we, we know the truth now, I didn't. And uh, he said, Bob, I've got some money. He said, Let, how about you go and find a deal and we'll do it together. I'll put the money in. And I said, yeah, okay, I'll do that. And I did and I found another deal and uh, Keith and I did it. Keith put the money in. He put the, you know, the equity in, borrowed the rest from the bank and um, and did another deal. I, I call that a joint venture with a money partner these days or an equity partner. Uh, it's very common, very, very common strategy that, that I use and my students use. Uh, and now I've done two property developments, made some seriously good money, and I haven't put five cents of my own money up yet. And uh, so that gave me the passion. But as I said, I, I sort of pushed on, uh, and then there was a change in the market, which I mentioned just previously. Yes. And so that was the uh, that was the sort of what I needed to straighten me up a bit and sort me out. <laughs> I got a little bit too 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 gung ho, a little bit too big. You know, I still didn't have the knowledge base behind me. You know, I had no education. I had no one to hold my hand. Nobody to, you know, ring up and ask questions to and that sort of thing. So. 
To become more educated on the development process, he sought out professional people such as town planners who taught him valuable information about yields and feasibility. Because there's no TAFE courses, there's no uni courses. Um, not, not that a, a uni course, I'll, I'll be honest, um, I have uh, mentored some people who've gone through the uni courses and they, they're great for getting a, a job in the big companies, you know, Movac and Lendlease, but as far as actually being really street smart, and uh, using a lot of you know creative stuff to make a lot of money, they really don't teach it there. No. Uh, but it's but there's a top, there's a place for everything. And if for people that want to just go and work for a property development company on a you know reasonably good salary, then you know go and get a degree in property development. But none of that was around then, uh, so it was a fair bit of trial and error. Um, but I I did um, I met a couple of good professional people. Um, as I said, a town planner, and I was doing subdivisions mainly for about the first four years. That's all I did. I didn't build any buildings. I didn't do townhouses for about four years. Um, and so I, I got some good uh, – I got to understand some costing and how to cost subdivisions and how to calculate the yield, which is how many lots of particular size block of land would produce. And you know, I got to understand feasibilities, therefore how to do the numbers, which is critically important. I'm going to make sure it makes a profit. And, and because of my marketing background, I understood that. So I was building up this skill set uh, as well That because a developer wears, wears quite a few hats. You know, as I said before, it's about managing people, managing a process. Um, and so I was building uh, a team of people and I was learning the, learning the process um, to a point where, well, it's becoming quite proficient at it. And, uh, and you know, the, sort of the dangerous part of my career was pretty much over. As Anderson was doing subdivisions, which takes time, like any other property venture, where did he get the cash flow to sustain his lifestyle? I kept the real estate job going for, for a little while until I'd finished that second project, uh, the, the one I did with uh, my sister's boyfriend. So I had um, quite a bit of cash. I don't know what the present day equivalent would be, but it'd be um, know, at least the equivalent of a nice new house, yeah. uh, probably. <laughs> you, know, you know, I don't know what that is. No. Half a mil, maybe. I don't know what the equivalent would be these days. Yeah, yeah. Um, but so, so that certainly sustained me for a while. Well, I, well, I got to a point where, where I could, um, you know, draw profits out. But what I also found, realised is that on some of the projects that I was doing, I was using what we call commercial finance, um, where I was actually able to pay myself a project management fee uh, on my own projects, and so I was, so I could draw draw a basic wage, a reasonable wage actually, um, on the way through the development. As, as being the project manager of the development, even though it was me, the developer. So a developer can be a project manager. In fact, most developers project manage their own projects. Uh, but, but when using commercial finance, you, know, you can pay yourself that. So, so that, that gave me a you know, good little earn on the way through, plus I had some capital behind me, which I, I could use as, you know, as my equity. You know, the bank will give you 75 or 80% of what you need, but you've got to put some money in yourself. And that's sort of my profits with what I rolled back into that. Uh, with a little bit to get me through and then, then I started you know, living off – well, I had more than enough to live off my project management fees. Yes. Know, quite, a, quite a good lifestyle living off them. Books that he used to condition his mindset included those as Think and Grow Rich and Secrets of the Millionaire Mind. Some of the old favourites, of course, you know, the old, as I said, back in the early days, Think and Grow Rich and Rich Dad, Poor Dad. One that probably um, – was gave me a bit of a shift in mindset. I mean, I was entrepreneurial. I was brave, um, but you got to remember that I I was brought up in a very middle class family. As I said, my dad was a spray painter, panel beater, 
and he, he worked off and spray painted and fixed cars on weekends to earn extra money you know to give his kids a good life and holidays and put them through good schools and all that sort of stuff so um but um uh, so I, I didn't I didn't get any real investment learning from him so I was either going to come from people I knew or books uh, but it was half half Tayika's book the millionaire mindset oh, uh, great which actually great book uh, which actually uh, made me realize uh, a bit more about mindset I think I was part of the way there I didn't have a problem with wealth or money I didn't feel guilty about the sort of money I was making uh, and I was, still making, I was making pretty pretty reasonable money, uh, but just that whole that whole book really set the tone for me about how wealthy people think differently from average people in, in so many ways. You know, there's, I can't remember now. There's probably about twenty different uh, extracts that he goes through about what you know, analysing a, a wealthy, a, a successful. We know that success yeah, is a lot so, more than just wealth. Wealth, of yes, course, but yes. but 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 you know that sort of view uh, and how they view things. And you know the the unsuccessful person views something this way. It's often with a you know a, a lack sort of mentality, where the other one is is uh, you know more of a, uh, an abundant or a surplus sort of mentality. And yeah, that was quite interesting. That's probably the book that that, that changed my mindset more than any other. In fact, although Anderson didn't have any one particular mentor who guided him through his property journey. He did meet a professional in the field who made him realise that you can never go broke making a profit. Although I did meet, uh, meet a number of successful people along the way and I, I took a bit from each of them, you know. Uh, and and uh, the, it's an old saying and in fact, uh, the person that told me this, I'm sure you're not the first person to say it, but I, uh, very early in the piece, uh, I met a, an Italian builder, builder developer and he was a lovely guy and he used to build apartment blocks and... Uh, uh, He's, he's, he's like a, a scaled-down version of Harry Triggerboff probably, but not not in, not in size. I don't think you can scale Harry down in size, but no. <laughs> in dollars, you know. And uh, But he said, you know something, Bob, you never go broke making a profit. And uh, at the time I said, I thought, geez, John, that's like, it's <laughs> a bit stupid. Of course, you can't go broke making a profit. It took me a little while to think about it. I know what he meant now, of course. Or, well, soon after that, I knew what he meant. Sometimes, you know, you just try and push too hard for too much. And sometimes you're better off taking a good deal or a good profit. Uh, and, you know, and money has a value in time. Uh, and markets can change and all sorts of stuff, you know. Uh, if there's a good profit and it's looking at the face and it's simple and it's there uh, and you can move on, uh, sometimes you just take that rather than wait for the little bit extra. You know, you wait for that bit extra and anything could happen. Ah, okay. That's a really good analogy or interesting um, point to make. So, what I'm trying to, what I'm understanding here is that if you do see profit there, don't be greedy and, and just take it. I mean, obviously, you can maximize it eventually. I think it's not being greedy. I think, you know, if you have to see the core. I've seen some people that just get fixated with the number. You know, it could be a property they're selling. I mean, I always see it with people that are selling development sites and I might be looking and buying it. I met a guy once, he wanted a million dollars for his site. That depends on what's around the area as well too. Was that well, the price? yeah. Was that... It was probably worth close to a mil. Um, but I made some offers lower. But I came to realise that he just had this number in his mind was a million. and And that was it. It was the number, and I think what I'd, I think honestly, I, I did talk to him because I was dealing directly with him. I think he just wanted to be able to tell everybody, his friends and relatives, I sold my block of land for a million bucks. I honestly think, I don't think he wanted to say I sold it for nine hundred and seventy-two thousand. 
I just and he, I, he just became fixated on the million. And so, I mean, price is only part of it because there's other things like terms, conditions and time. Uh, and so I went the other way and uh, um, paid the million uh, but got a, long, a long-term a long settlement with a couple of uh, reasonable conditions in there, and uh, which to me was better than paying nine fifty, which is sort of what I was looking at doing initially with a short settlement. And uh, that was just an example of somebody, uh, you know, there's a guy just, I think he's just fixated on that number. Nothing was going to move him off that number. But but then, you know, the length, when he got it, he didn't he didn't really care if he waited, you know, nine months for it, as long as he got the mill. He'd rather, he'd rather get a million dollars in nine months than get $950 in 30 days. Getting into the nuts and bolts of Anderson's strategy for development, he has dealt with all three forms of product. In terms of properties, uh, there's basically three types, what I call product. So typically, I'd be either de- developing land, as in, you know, lots of blocks of, blocks of land, vacant land, if you like, uh, townhouses or to some degree apartments. Uh, so typically, it'd be that. Uh, as I said, in the first four years of my developing life, I just did land subdivision. So I was just doing blocks of land and selling it to people who wanted to build and selling it to builders. Uh, and then, I, as I said, I was forced to actually end up putting houses on them to get, to get out of a sticky situation. Um, so I, I tend to work capital cities. I don't do a lot of regional uh, and, I, and I generally don't do mining towns at all. Mining towns, you know, you've got to be the first in and the first out. Uh, I think there's plenty of casualties out there that have done uh, got, got hurt on mining towns. So I tend to look. I tend to do the higher growth areas. I tend to do more the larger cities, if not capitals, at least at least larger the larger cities, larger regional cities, or, or capital cities. So at the moment, I'm developing in 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 Brisbane. I'm developing in Melbourne, and uh, I'm always also looking at a, a developing a retirement village, which is something of a specialty of mine uh, in New South Wales. Uh, so, so I'm not tied to locality, uh, and I'm not tied to any three of those products. However, analysing each of the micro markets in a region and getting to know the localities is important. So, you know, we talk about the Sydney property market. Well, there's probably 30 different micro markets in Sydney, and they're all sort of working different cycles, different price points, and, and so forth. So, you really, if there's one thing you got to do as a property developer, it's get to know your local market. So, you're better off choosing a smaller area. Could be one or two council areas, two or three suburbs, whatever it is, and become a real expert in that area. Really understand land values, understand, let's say, uh, what a, what a townhouse were, is worth, how big they are, and uh, uh, you know, should they be doing two beds or three beds, that sort of thing. Really get to understand the local market. That's what you need to do because property development is pretty local. It's not you can't just say you know Sydney. I'll develop anywhere in Sydney because there's so many markets and you won't understand all of them at the same time. That's that's a big take. That's uh, where a lot of people go wrong when they start. Uh, you get what I call your patch, and so I do that. Uh, I do develop in a state as well, and but I've got good, good connections in a state as well that can feed me a lot of that information. And so I'm happy to do any of those three. And as I said, you know, something like a retirement village is, is pretty special as well, but um, it's probably not something someone would start off at. Uh, with a lot of my students, they start off with uh, just small projects generally. It could be what we call a splitter. It could be uh, turning one block into two blocks. It could be just a small subdivision. It could be dropping another house or perhaps a duplex in the backyard of an existing house. Uh, it could be uh, demolishing a house and building, you know, three. Uh, some often they start off with small projects. Some start off with slightly bigger ones, depending on, you know, uh, well, a couple of things, how much money they got. But not only that, uh, they, they could be using one of the strategies I teach where you can do developments with little or no money, in which case the, the size is not so so relevant. 
Coming up after the break, we'll discover the secret to how you can start developing a property without putting any of your own money forth. The developer doesn't have to put the money in, it's somebody else's money. And that becomes, there's lots of ways of structuring that. Find out about the personal habit which has contributed to his success. I won't go to bed uh, of an evening unless I've planned the next day and all the little things I want to achieve and want to do. And that's next. I'm Tyrone Shum and you're listening to Property Investory. Hey podcast listeners, if you're finding this podcast super informative, then guess what? I'm giving you an exclusive free case study from property investors like this one just for listening. These case studies are from experienced property investors where they share specific strategies and numbers of their portfolio. Simply text me your email address to 0499881040 to get your free case studies. Now back to the show. So, what does he do to start developing a property, no money down? The most common one uh, that a lot of my students use is called a, uh, a joint venture with a money partner. Uh, well, I'll keep it pretty simple. Uh, let's just say that to do a property development, we have to put a certain amount of money down. Let's, we call it a deposit in the in the development world we call an equity. We've got to put down, let's say, 20 or 25% of our costs. in. in we've got to put that money in first. And the bank will lend us the rest of the money. It's not much different from buying a house where we put out pay a deposit and the bank lends us the rest of the money. On a, on a development, we've got to put some money down and the bank will lend us the rest. So it's really all about where does that initial piece of money come from, that equity, that deposit. And the good news is it doesn't have to come from the developer. It could be somebody else who has some money. And so their role is to put in that initial amount of money. And then when that's in there, the bank lends the rest. The developer doesn't have to put the money in. It's somebody else's money. And that becomes, there's lots of ways of structuring that, but that becomes like a, basically a type of joint venture. And that money could be simply a loan where they get a high interest rate or, or they could, in fact, become part of the project where they get a, a, a big chunk of the profits as well. So they get their money back at the end and they get a chunk of the profits. So it's a good deal both ways. Like any sort of joint venture or anything where you've got two people, uh, it has to be a good win-win for both. And uh, there's lots of people out there that, that have money that want more than the few percent the bank will give you. Uh, and there's, they can get some very high returns by putting that capital into a property development. Uh, they don't have to have the knowledge or anything. They don't have to do any of the work. They just put the money part in. Uh, my student, or if they, you know, I've taught them how to do it. Uh, they put in what I call the smart work and they make the, they find the deal and they make it happen. And so for the, for the developer... Uh, they they get a make let's say fifty percent of the profits and put no money in at all. Yeah. Uh, for the investor, they might get fifty percent of the profits. They put their money in, get it out, and they get it. So it's a win win. That's a very common strategy. It's the most popular one, but but there's plenty of others. The vendor finance one I talked about earlier. Another thing you can do is enter into a joint venture with the landowner. There's lots of them. The, the beautiful thing is that um, if people want to get into property development but they don't have much money, uh, it doesn't matter. What you need is knowledge. And there's, there's two components to do a property development. You have to have the knowledge to know what you're doing, but you have to have some money. The bank will give you most of it, but not all of it. Uh, but getting the money, uh, I've got a whole range of strategies for you know how you get the money. Um, but the money is not the bit that's in short supply, it's the knowledge. And when you've got the knowledge, you'll attract money like a magnet. And uh, and that's why uh, you know these strategies are great because they can get people started straight away. They don't have to save up heaps of money. Uh, for equity to do a development, they can. In fact, 
many of my students that are doing uh, like multiple projects. I've got students doing six, eight projects at a time, 30, 40, 50 million dollars worth of projects at a time, and they don't have even five cents in, invested in any of those projects. And they're just using different creative strategies. A personal habit which Anderson attributes to his success is the art of prioritizing his day. I probably became really sharp and maybe I'm not as sharp as I was, I don't know. You know, getting older, who knows. But um, I think, you know, one, one of the things I had to do when I first became involved, and not even property development in selling real estate, is like, like we all, I think we all have something that maybe we're a little bit weak in, maybe more than others. And with me, it was procrastination. I came to realise it fairly quickly. I, I would, I'd put things off if they were difficult. So what do I do? I sort of half smart. Uh, each, each each morning, I'd do a list of things I wanted to achieve that day. Uh, but what I'd do is I'd say, okay, well, what's the easy? Oh, this this is easy. I'll do this, and I and I do all the easy stuff first, and then invariably, what happens at the end of the day, you haven't done everything, and the only thing that's left is the hard stuff, the stuff you didn't want to do. And so that'd go on tomorrow's list. Uh, and so what I wasn't doing, two things: I wasn't prioritising. I should have worked out every morning. What's the most important thing in order of priority and do that? It could be the it could be the hardest thing I wanted to do all day, but I'd do it, you know, in priority. So if I didn't get everything done, then it wasn't so important. The other thing is that I learned not to do that every morning. I learned to do it the evening before. And I'd never go to bed. In fact, I'd still do it. I won't go to bed uh, of an evening unless I've planned the next day and all the little things I want to achieve and want to do. Uh, and and ideally even try and timeline them. That's a great habit. It's not a yeah, it's it's not a, a, a you know, a world revelation. Um, it's just it's just one of the little things uh, that that I think pays dividends. If Anderson were to meet himself from ten years ago, he would tell himself to loosen up a little bit more. Probably, um, I may have been a bit a bit quite intense, um, and probably what I'd say to myself: listen, just loosen up a bit, Bob. You know, relax. Uh, as I say, you know, smell the roses a bit more. Um, you know, you can be very successful in property development. I, I think I used to, um, I don't know what it was. It was just, you know, all the energy, the adrenaline and everything. And, oh, it's, it's a joy and it's a joy ahead of you. Don't worry. Um, and so, um, uh, yeah, just probably like just relax it, you know, do everything right, but just chill, chill a bit more. I think, you know, that's, that's probably, uh, you know, maybe 10 years ago, I was probably uh, a bit more wound up. Uh, but as far as property development goes, I mean, see, 10 years ago, I hadn't quite started my education side of my business. And so I was, I was 100% property development. Whereas, and exactly 10 years ago, it was sort of in my mind and I was starting to organise it. But um, I suppose what I didn't know 10 years ago is how much I was going to enjoy it. Ah, that's excellent. Well, that that's good news to tell him. I mean, like, you know, be prepared that they're going to have so much joy in education. Yeah, yeah. I suppose I would have said to myself, this thing you're working on now, uh, it's going to be, it's going to, it's going to be your prime reason for get going in a way. Um, it's going to give you a lot of fulfilment, a lot of happiness. You're going to meet a lot of great people. Uh, so get cracking uh, and get it finished, Bob. The sooner you do that, the better. With an expertise in subdivisions, he has come to recognise the power of cash flow and how developers have an advantage over the market. At the time, yeah, I used to see, I used to sell everything I developed because mostly it was, was vacant land anyway. It took me a little while to realise that as a developer, we've got an enormous advantage over the rest of the, prop, rest of the market. 
we got a huge advantage over all other investors in, in that we, we develop property at raw cost, uh, whereas most investors are, are buying at retail price. Uh, you know, unless, I mean, certainly there's some distressed sales sometimes or mortgagees in possession or, you know, whatever it is, and sometimes you can get a great deal, but, you know, there's always a million people fighting as it is. Uh, but, for instance, if a, if a property was worth, uh, you know, $700,000, a townhouse was worth $700,000 when it was finished, as a developer, we're getting it for, what, probably $550,000. Uh, we're not paying legals and stamp duty on the acquisition because we already own it. That's right, yeah. Uh, and we're not paying commission on the sale because we're not selling it. So it's a huge advantage. And, you know, it's not accidental that property developers have very large property portfolios. And the reason they do is that they're getting property at absolute poor cost. And so as a result, they don't have to keep saving up the deposits all the time like normal people do. You know, most people that buy investments, they need the market to rise so that they can, uh, you know, refinance and harvest their equity and put it down. And it's not always 100% debt, it's not 105%. Whereas as developers, uh, we just keep using our profit as our deposit. And so we don't have to come up with cash deposits all the time. We just leave our profit in there. Yep. And also on top of that, you're creating equity as well to automatically. And less debt. You know, we've, we've probably got 75, 80% debt, uh, whereas someone else has got 100% debt or 105. And so they're generally cash flow neutral or cash flow positive. In- Ultimately, what they have as property developers is the flexibility to decide whether to sell the projects or keep them today's interest rates, they're brand new, they're full depreciation, uh, there's minimum to no maintenance uh, and, and uh, you know, we could do we could do three townhouses and the brilliant thing is what could we do? We could keep three, we could sell three, we could keep one, sell two, keep two, sell one. Yeah, we've got all this uh, flexibility in terms of how we, uh, how we treat our sales, even something as simple as uh, a duplex. We could sell two, keep two, sell one, keep one. There's three opportunities. <laughs> and uh, the ones we sell gives us cash. We need cash. Cash is king. We need cash to, you know, for all our, our lifestyle, our holidays, our going out, our school fees, whatever. That's the ones we sell. We get cash. The ones we keep, uh, we can keep with no pain. Uh, and uh, we keep for long, same as any normal investor, we keep it for long-term capital growth. Uh, but the beauty is we've got it at raw cost uh, with probably cash flow positive uh, and we can keep, well, as many as we can finance. Uh, you need some good uh, good finance broker then and you can keep as many as you can keep, as I say. And why wouldn't you keep the properties you've worked hard to develop? It's a proven... It's a great asset class, isn't it? I mean, it's got a long history. Property goes on forever. And so there's highs and lows in the middle, but it's a long-term play, property. So that's okay. The ones the ones we keep, uh, we put aside, uh, and the ones that we sell as our cash. The beautiful thing is, uh, you know, some people, uh, because they're in this negative geared world, you know, where they're paying full retail price and probably 105%, including legals and stamps, they're often in negative gearing. And a lot of investors, very sadly, it's, it hurts them. They just get sick of being negative geared, coming up with the money every month. Uh, and as a result, uh, you know, they've got a couple of – and all they ever see is, is that's their life because as soon as it starts, the rents go up and, uh, you know, as things start to improve, they're encouraged to go and refinance, harvest some work and go get another one and keep and stay in the pain until somewhere near retirement age. They, they cash out of some of them, go into a positive cash flow. The beautiful thing about getting property so cheap as developers, we, we're in a positive cash flow virtually from day one uh, and we don't have to sell. Uh, and, and so what invariably happens is all, all the cash we've ever wanted is the ones we sell. The ones that we've kept, we don't have to sell them. Uh, and we've kept them and paid them down over the years uh, because they were never negative geared in the first place and, and we got them at raw cost. 
For the next five years, Anderson is excited about continuing to do what he loves and balancing his time. Keep, keep it going, keep doing it. I sort of restructured a lot of it uh, as well as to how I, uh, you know, how I, how I promote my, my products and that sort of thing. It's loosened up a bit of time for me, but um, yeah, just do more of it. I just, uh, I love because I love property so much because I love property development. I mean, I just I, I do my own obviously, and that's exciting. Um, but but I love getting getting involved in in other people's projects. I mean, how good a job is this? You know, to have, actually have something that you love doing and do it, but then also to get the added benefit of getting involved in helping other people do it, do what you do. That's why I'm not lying on a beach. I've tried it twice. I got to tell you, I tried lying on a beach twice, which is another name for pulling the plug and being retired. Yeah. Doesn't work. Doesn't, work. Just doesn't work for no, me. No, no, it doesn't yeah. work for me. No, I've, I've two weeks of that. <laughs> it drives me nuts too. So don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's all about balance. Eh? I mean, you you interview a lot of people, and uh, I think it's a lot about life balance, isn't it? Yes, yes. And a lot of them say that you've got to get away just to have a bit of time to recharge when you come back. Mm. You know, you're, you're mm. refreshing. You look at things from a different perspective. But if you keep doing the grind, you never get away to to really think. So I know how to work hard and I know how to relax hard so I've got I think I've sort of got it worked out after after a few years if you wish to connect with Anderson to find out more about his strategies or educational resources you can visit his website probably the simplest way really is is to uh, jump onto my website uh, which is uh, propertymastermind.com.au pretty simple propertymastermind.com.au uh, it's all there. Uh, it's all about property development, what it means, how you can do it, uh, and uh, how I can help you get into the get into it, change your life, make a lot of money, change your life, change your family's life. That's what it's done for me. It's what it's done for lots of people. So, uh, yeah, simple. Go to the website, propertymastermind.com.au. Thank you to Bob Anderson, our guest on this episode of Property Investory. If you want to hear more about his journey, then visit our website at propertyinveststory.com. Simply type in the search bar, Bob Anderson and select that episode to learn more about his story. Also, if you haven't subscribed to receive your free property case studies that I only send out exclusively via email, then head over to propertyinveststory.com and subscribe. These real case studies are from experienced property investors where they share specific numbers of their portfolio, the strategies and much more. Simply visit propertyinveststory.com to receive your free case studies. Thanks for listening.